Hey, Gary. What's up? Not much, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for calling into this. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, too, man. I just uh, was at practice and, you know, just wrapping up the evening with kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, no no problem at all. I, I know you got a lot going on. Uh, what what were you coaching tonight? Basketball. Oh, yeah? Okay, cool. Um, how how did the practice go? Oh, it was cool. It was cool. Just training my younger kids. All right. Very cool. So to give you a little bit of background, the purpose of this podcast is to just catch up with former Dallas Mavericks. I'm a lifelong okay. Mavs fan, born and raised in Dallas, and I just I wanted to create something where I could talk to uh, – former Mavs about about their really their basketball career and you know with a little more emphasis on their time in Dallas but really just about their career as a whole and to find out what they're doing now so that's I'm, like I said I'm just a huge fan and I really enjoy catching up with players from the past okay perfect yeah so I know you were growing up in in uh, Columbus Ohio so one of the first questions that I like to ask is um, you know what initially got you into basketball as a youngster growing up well, um, you know, I always played football and I was a swimmer and diver growing up. Oh, wow. What ended up happening one day after school in high school, I had moved out to this new high school and I missed the school bus. And I had a couple of friends that had told me, um, you know, they'll give me a ride home after school if, uh, you know, since I missed the school bus and, and there happened that, that I got a ride home after school. They was like, come to open gym with us. So I went to open gym and coach told me, Hey, you know, you look pretty athletic. You should come out for the team. So I went and tried out for the team and I ended up making JV. I played the first uh, half of the JV game, scored 20, moved me up to varsity that night. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a really cool start. And this was at uh, Hamilton township high school. Yes, yes. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I mean, in, in doing a little bit of research about you, I saw that, I, I guess, during your senior season there, you shot over 80% from the field, which was a, a national high school record. What What was that year like for you in terms of the competition that you faced? Because it seems like you were just basically unstoppable. Well, you know, um, I didn't have any skill back then. You know, I was just an explosive athlete who was strong. Mm -hmm. So, basically, I just um, – you know, everything for me was a layup, a dunk, offensive rebound, put back. I was just, a, you know, really a high-energy player. I mean, they went to me with the ball, but I just, you know, bully ball my way to the basket and scored. And, you know, I saw I shot a high percentage because I actually shot 81.4 from the floor. Yeah. But I was shooting 59 from the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's crazy. So once your high school career wrapped up and you went to – college at Ohio what what was the uh recruitment process like for you to go to the Ohio Bobcats well there was really no recruitment you know I was in a bad situation at home and um you know one night I was just on the phone with coach and um I was talking to him and I asked him I said are y'all division one and he says yeah and I said coach do you know what I mean by division one I'm like can y'all can y'all play you know schools like Ohio State Michigan he was like yeah I was like, can y'all play on TV? He was like, yeah, if we uh, get to the tournament. And I didn't know what it was called at that point in time. So I said, coach, can y'all play in that, that big tournament that everybody plays in at the end of the year? <laughs> he said, good, we can win the national title if we get the right players. 
So right there on the phone one night, I said, I'll come to OU. And that's what it was. There was no recruitment. I didn't take no visits. I committed to Ohio University before I ever even met the coach or been to the campus. That's, wow, that's really unusual how all that happened. But, I mean, obviously, I think you made a, a good choice going there because you had a really stellar career for your three seasons there. Um, were there an, an, I'm not a huge college basketball fan, but what was your college experience like for you during your three years at Ohio University? I mean, it was the greatest experience for me at that point in time in life because it gave me a chance to see something different, get away from my environment, uh, grow up as a person, and, you know, just get to understand how to play basketball because I never knew how to play basketball. You know, my coach mm-hmm. had won a national title at Division Three at Wittenberg, so he bought all the fundamentals of the game to the Division One level. And he was a great teacher because, you know, Division Three is non-athletic basketball, really, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you when you take fundamentals and mix them with an athlete, you know, you usually get something good, you know? And the sad news is, you know, I just, um, you know, a year ago, my college coach called me and told me that I was going into the State of Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. So I go – so last weekend, I go to Ohio for the ceremony and my coach was supposed to meet me because the ceremony was on Saturday, and he died on Friday, man. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm going to Ohio this weekend for a funeral on Saturday, so it's just crazy right now. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Gary. Um, I'm sure he was a really positive influence on your life. Uh, oh, man. he's he, You know, him, my high school coach, and – my high school superintendent and our athletic director and just, the, you know, the staff at Hamilton Township High School, those people really, you know, put their hands around me and kind of, you know, put me on a different path and they passed me off to my coach in college, Coach Hunter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it kind of worked on from there. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's understandable. And I'm I'm glad you guys crossed cross paths. Um during your life. And uh, again, I'm sorry for your loss. So once your, once your college career ended in 1995 and you're, you're getting ready for the 95 draft, what were your expectations at the time? Did, did you work out for a lot of teams or like what I was worked your out for 12 like? teams, man. 12. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that called me, I went and worked out. I mean, think about this. Seattle had the 26 pick and I went and worked out for them. You know, I worked out for everybody, you know, if yeah. you call me, cause I looked at it like this, I could be at home training with my trainer or I can get a free NBA workout. And a lot of those workouts were benchmark workouts to begin with, you know, teams bring you in and work you out. And then they see you as your career goes and they can see the growth in your game and what you don't worked on and what you have not worked on. So to me, it was a positive thing. You know, a lot of people are on this. I don't want to work out for a bunch of teams and I can understand that. But in my situation, I didn't look at it like that. You know, that just put me in front of 12 or 13 general managers on a personal level to really get a chance to scope me out. Yeah, no, that's, that's probably a good way to approach it. I would think just, uh, the, the way you went about it. Um, so were you, Surprise! I know you were initially drafted by Milwaukee, but you were immediately traded to Portland. Did you have a good, like a good Portland workout? Do you think that's why that happened? Uh, you know, I, you know, I don't even think that was it. I think you know Portland was always a team that 
if you look at their roster, they have their guards, but they always stack a bunch of big body forwards. You mm-hmm. know, that's why you had Brian Grant, me, Rasheed, um, Cliff Robinson, Antonio Wingfield, you know, Buck Williams, you know, just a bunch of big bodies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you know, once in the draft, after teams fulfill their actual need, then it's the next best athlete or the next best thing to fulfill their situation. Because okay. really after like the top six or seven picks, you're not getting what you need no more. Mm-hmm. You know, a few teams might. So basically, for sure, after the top ten, you know, it's the what fulfills what that team is. You know, if they can't, if they need a guard, they can't get one. Or if they need a point guard or a small forward, can't get one. Then it just turns into getting something tradable or getting the next best athlete. That makes sense. So your rookie year, there was another NBA rookie on the on the team by the name of Arvidas Sabonis. Yep. What, what what was that like playing against him? Because he technically was a rookie, but he was probably in his early 30s at that point. He was 30. Yeah, he was 30. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it was great to play with him. You know, my only unfortunate situation was, uh, you know, he go, he went to the rookie game instead of me and things like that. But <laughs> the more unfortunate situation was for as great as he was as a player and, you know, looking at the highlights of him when he beat Team USA and things like that, I wish I would have got to see him play healthy. You know, by the time he came over here, he done had two knee surgeries and Achilles surgeries. You know, he was at the he was basically at the end of his career when he came. Yeah, that's uh But his passing and his IQ and you know, if he would have came over here in his prime, he would have wreaked havoc. He was he he was nice. Yeah, I've seen footage of him. And, yeah, even, you know, watching him in those Portland days, like he still had those bright moments where you, you could see a little bit of – or I mean, just in terms of his IQ and his uh, ability just or his knowledge of playing the game was always fun to watch. But you could definitely see his, uh, you know, his quickness and speed was pretty much gone. Yeah. So you play in Portland for a few years – and then you, you're traded to Toronto, and you finish out the 98 season in Toronto. But then in the 98 offseason is when you signed with Dallas as a free agent, and that's mainly the part I wanted to talk to you about. What went into your free agent decision to sign with Dallas at the time? I mean, it was a great opportunity for me. It was a, um, you know, a warm city. You know, I'm from Ohio, mm-hmm. so it was always cold. I went to Portland, which was raining and kind of cold and you know Dallas first place I'd ever been come January you know it's 70 degrees and mm-hmm. you know the, you know they weren't the most winningest team but it was the most it was a great opportunity for me to be able to get some playing time and you know be a part of something that they were trying to rebuild definitely and that was the that was the the lockout season after the yeah. 98 lockout so did you sign I'm guessing just like right as the lockout ended uh, I signed like the day the lockout ended type thing. I got gotcha. you. So you come to Dallas in I guess early '99, um, playing for Don Nelson. January '99. January '99. What were your um, yeah. initial impressions of, of the Mavericks organization? <laughs> the crazy thing about it is, my son was born January 18th. My oldest son. Oh and, yeah. Uh, okay. And I and I. And I actually signed with them four days later. <laughs> so the lockout season allowed me to be home to see my son's birth. But, um, you know, to me, it was it was just a great opportunity. You know, I had heard a lot about Coach Nelson. And, you know, what was the strangest thing was every year in the off season I would go to Hawaii 
because Pete Newell used to have this big man camp. Him, Kiki Vandeway, and a bunch of guys was running this camp. And I would go out there every year. And the first two years, the Blazers played for me, paid for it at the end of my first second year. My third year, I was a free agent. So I paid for it myself because I like to get that work in. Mm-hmm. And that's where Don Nelson saw me because he was in, he has a house in Maui. Mm-hmm. So he actually saw me playing out there and, you know, they started inquiring and that's how I ended up in Dallas. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. I like hearing stories like that. Yeah. About how I mean, I'd already been in the league cool. three years, but I think him seeing me at that camp up close mm-hmm. and just watching me work, you know, he was always the master of mismatch. So I think me being at that camp, he got a chance to see me up close and watch me. And that's what, you know, actually led to me coming to Dallas, which was great. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think you made a good choice that first year in Dallas. You know, you played nearly the whole season and averaged, you know, 16 points a game, nearly eight rebounds a game. And, you know, you had a, a rookie on that team by the name of Dirk Nowitzki at the time. Who? What was he like as a rookie? Because um, I'm assuming you guys went, went head-to-head and practice a lot. Uh, no, we were starting together, you know. But, um, you know, in practice, you know, Dirk early on, he was just a quiet guy. You know, he was young first and foremost. So, you know, you're young, you leave everybody behind, you're in a new country, you're trying to figure out the physicality of the NBA game, the speed of the NBA game, you know, how to, uh, what's your role, you know, and all the magazines were negative and everybody had something negative to say because, you know, we used to look at the magazine and be like, Dirk's going to get Don Nelson fired. This was a terrible decision. I used to always look at Dirk, and I used to be like, Dirk, don't believe none of this. Don't listen to none of this. Just play your game, work on your game, work on your game, because Dirk was my rook. You know, he'd sit up next to me on the airplane and everything, and it's just beautiful to see him become one of the greats. You know what I'm saying? After all of that negativity and all of that hate toward him early on, those same haters are praising him now. (laughs) Yeah, and I've actually, you know, as his career is winding down, sounds like he's got one more year left and then he's going to call it, call it a career. I've seen your name come up in some articles of him about your, your influence on him early on in, in, uh, in his career. And one thing he, I guess he, he stole a, a term from you calling everybody burger. And he said he got that term from you. What, what is, what's the story behind that when you were calling people burgers? I'm just curious what that means. Just, you was easy. You was easy. Like you, <laughs> like you a burger about to eat you up. <laughs> okay. I figured it was yeah. something like that. That's that's kind of funny. Yeah, I, and I, I think uh, by the time your second year came around in Dallas, you know, unfortunately, I believe you tore a hamstring, correct? Yeah, a lot of injuries. Yeah, I had a lot of injuries those two years, those last two years. Yeah, but, um, you know, I, he credited the fact that you were unable to suit up is – I think aided him a lot in his development and he acknowledged that because, you know, you probably would have gotten the chunk of those minutes considering how you played the year before when you were one of the leading scorers on the team. So I thought that was interesting how that all worked out. Well, you know, the, the, the league is really, man, if you got any talent and you work hard, it's all about being able to get the opportunity to display it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my injuries and me going down, you know, I was averaging about 17, so I might have been shooting about 15 shots a game, possibly. And then you had Finley, who was it coming into his own all-star. And uh, you had Nash, you know. So, you know, Dirk uh, still throughout that adjustment period, you know, I, that would only been his second year. So I think once the 
responsibility fell on you and you had no choice, he just grew, you know. And and when you're young and, you know, teams understand your situation, you know, they'll live through your mistakes until you get to a certain age. But, you know, your first year and the situation he was in, you know, all the mistakes he made they were going to live through. So um, he was able to play stress-free and kind of just grow into his own and become what he became. And, you know, it was beautiful to see that. I agree. Yeah, it's been quite a ride watching him play. One thing I wanted to ask you about that second year, and I know you didn't get a chance to play very much, but I've, I've talked to a number of your former teammates, actually. I've talked to Eric Strickland and, and, and Rick Hughes and Bruno Sundov and Chris, yeah. An- and Chris Anstey. But when I was talking to, to Strickland, we talked about Dennis Rodman's impact on the team in that second year that you were you were in Dallas. Now, I know you weren't you only played 11 games that season, but um, from your vantage point, what do you think his, his impact on the team was at that time? Well, we needed some rebounding. We need somebody at the four, and I was having so many injuries, you know. It was more of a, like, we, we were we were desperate to try to get somebody, you know. And, uh, you know, I think he was more or less at the tail end of his career, but at the same time, he still was smart enough to know how to play. He could play his way into shape, and, you know, if he was going to bring anything positive as far as rebounding, setting screens, and some toughness, and we needed all of that at that point in time. And, uh, you know, I think they took a gamble on that. As far as his impact on the team, you know, Dennis was really always to himself. And, you know, he did his own thing. And, you know, he didn't really interact with the guy. So I don't really – I can't really speak for his impact. And at that point in time, I was staying behind doing physical therapy. I wasn't traveling. Oh, okay. So I don't really know how he was getting down on the road or whatever. But, you know, from being you. there, you know, he was – he just kept to himself. You know, the only time he really spoke was on the court and whatnot. I mean, you know, nobody had a problem with that. You know, as long as you do your job, whatever else you got going on, that's your business. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, yeah, I was just curious about, about your thoughts, and I, and I could understand if you were uh, a little more behind the scenes rehabbing your injuries. Yeah. So the next year, you know, you are able to play a little bit more, uh, 33 games, but you didn't get to play very much. You had more injury problems. But, you know, those two years there, your last two years in Dallas is when the um, – the team started to turn the corner and, you know, things started to get exciting in reunion arena. And, um, Dirk well, was my a- second year, my, my second year, Mark bought the team. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. So the last two years, Mark had the team. My last two years there, Mark had, had the team and, you know, he started changing things around and started, you know, taking uh, commentary from guys like, what do you guys want the locker room to look like? You know, we need food after the games, you know, food after practice and, you know, he just stepped up and took the Mavericks from a cellar dweller organization of the 90s and just made it basically first class in the, in the way, you know, traveling on the plane, you know, feeding guys after the game, feeding guys after the private, even got to the point where the visiting team got food to go. You know, he just stepped it all the way up, man. And, uh, you know, he, he, he did a good job. And think about it. He bought the Mavericks for like $250 million. And now look what they're worth. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's worked out pretty well. That was probably one of the best investments ever. Yeah, it did. Yeah. You, know, you got a championship. It's what you, everything that he wanted, you know, besides more championships, he got out of that. You bought a team. Okay, cool. Now you have an identity in Dallas. You know, you got, you know, you, you got a chance to do something there. You built a championship contender, one of the worst teams of the 90s. You built a championship contender, a first-class organization. So he did an awesome job, man. Absolutely. Who was your 
your favorite teammate during your, your years in Dallas? Was there one guy or a couple guys that you were particularly close to that maybe you're still good friends with to this day? Uh, well, you know, I, I you know, I kind of hung with everybody a little bit, but at that point in time, I, probably my closest relationship would be Samaki Walker. You know, we were both from Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. We both got drafted one year apart. You know, we always was in the same circles growing up, being from the same city, you know, you. as far as basketball tournaments and basketball, you know, write-ups in the paper and just things of that nature. So, you know, we had a, a lot in common as far as in the basketball world. Yeah, I've actually I, – I, I forgot to mention his name. I, I talked to him too. He's another one of your former teammates I've had a conversation with, and uh, I really enjoyed talking with him. So at the end of your, your last year in Dallas, the Mavs – they made the playoffs that year, and I, and I think unfortunately you were you were still hurt. But they had that great series of with Utah. Were you able to travel with the team at that time? Um, no, I I don't think I traveled with the team. I don't think okay. I traveled. Okay, yeah, that was a that was a fun year in Mavs history, and I I wish you could have been a part of that because you know based how you, when you produced when you were healthy or how you produced when you were healthy, it it was. I think you could have helped the team a lot more um, during Man, your time. Man, I really here. loved it there. That was, that was, you know, I loved it. Uh, you know, I had a great time in Portland. I had a great time in Minnesota. But I say really, really, like my favorite was Dallas. And I think that was because that's where I had the most on-court success. Mm-hmm. I had my breakout success there. I was, I really felt like I was um, a part of something there, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the game, you know, at that point in time in my career at the end of the game, either Mike Finley was going to get the last shot or I was going to get the last shot. And uh, it just felt good to be a part of something, you know, getting the ball, getting shots, and just being a part of things. Yeah, definitely. That was right around the time – or I guess I became a Mavs fan in maybe about 95, your rookie season. So, I, you know, I was definitely more, much more into them by the time you came around. And, uh, you know, every – I just remember you making some great plays and just, you know, I, I wish things had turned out differently in terms of your health while you were here. Did you have a chance to re-sign with Dallas once that season ended or was it just time to move on somewhere else? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I would have probably came back there, but I think they had decided that, you know, they were going to, you know, Dirk was going to be at the four and, you know, stretch four and the game was evolving and they were just going a different direction. It wasn't no bad blood or it wasn't no bad, nothing yeah. it was just business you know just oh, you know, yeah. guys come and go just guys come and go absolutely no that makes sense so i mean and then you you know you latched on with minnesota and that was an, an up-and-coming team at the time with a you know mm-hmm. with, K, with kg and uh terrell brandon and yeah so and you know you got to have some playoff success there you know and i think in your final year in minnesota if maybe sam cassell hadn't gotten hurt you guys maybe could have gone to the finals yeah um, i believe so myself i believe that like, you know, we were rolling and we've been playing too well throughout the season, but you can't you can't get into the nitty gritty of the playoffs yeah. right before the championship round and lose your floor general or one of your best players. Yeah. It's like right now, you know, the Rockets are losing Chris Paul. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Something of that nature. So you just you just you just can't have that and still be as strong, you know. Guys are going to sub in. Guys are going to fill in. But there's that guy's a starter for a reason. That guy's a leader for a reason. And, you know, we lost some of that. Yeah, but that, those were some exciting teams at that time. So once your your time in Minnesota ended is when you went overseas. Did you did you enjoy your, your overseas experience? Beautiful time, man. Oh, you yeah? Know, I lived in Greece. <laughs> 
first time ever. You know, it's one thing when you visit somewhere for two weeks, but when you live somewhere for almost a year, mm-hmm. you know, you get to doing local things, you know, local restaurants, local grocery stores, all the local places, and you get a chance to understand the culture. It was just a great experience. I've heard a lot of good things um, from guys that have played overseas and some maybe sometimes some not so good things, you know, whether in terms of problems with getting paid on time or things like that. Did you experience anything like that during your time over there? Oh, yeah, they were they were they were going through that. <laughs> Listen, when I signed with the team, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're only allowed two Americans per team. So by the time I got over there, they had, this was like their third coach. It's only January by now, so y'all and y'all's like third coach. And then they tell the coach, since y'all keep running through so many players, you guys don't get no signing bonus. Since we got to bring in the American player, we're going to pay him y'all's Christmas salary. <laughs> so they basically paid me, the coaches, the staff's money. And even the guys on the team said they hadn't been paid in six games because they had like a six-game losing streak. So the owner came in like, until we win five or six, and I'm not paying nobody. So these guys were not getting paid. You know, and I was like, whoa. And then at the end of the season, you know, you got bonuses in your contract. They're not going to honor them because the overseas courts are different than the American system. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to court here, you sue somebody or they owe you money, the courts are going to uh, obligate them to pay you. And then if you don't pay your money, it'll be garnished and you're going to pay that person. Well, overseas, you could go to court, win your case and say, hey, the team owes me 100000 The courts will say, okay, yes, they do. You win the case, but there's no... Uh, stand on top of making sure you get paid it's like okay the paperwork says that they owe you but there's not going to be any garnishing there's not going to be any repercussions or anything about not getting paid oh wow that's so yeah yeah, it's it's a tricky business over there yeah sounds like it so once your career ended uh around 2006 or so what did you start doing um after that just in terms of coaching or working with your kids, what, what have you been doing over the last 10, 12 years? Well, I've been working in uh, schools for the most part. You know, okay. I've been a behavior intervention specialist. Oh, wow. And I've been working with children, you know. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing because I really got into it by coaching all of my oldest son's teams, mm-hmm. you know, because I was always coaching teams and taking kids home. And then I was always meeting him at school every day after school doing his homework. And then a couple of uh, parents asked me, could their kids stay? Because I had this belief where, you know, I meet my son at school at 3 o'clock. We do his homework from 3.30 to 5.30, and then we go to practice 6 to 8. Well, I'm not going to be able to bring my son home after a sporting practice at 8.39 at night and try to do homework. That's just not going to happen after you've been up since 7 in the morning. So I'm not going to wait to the 15th hour of your day and try to have you concentrate on homework. So I always got it done before practice. Mm-hmm. So the parent asked me after school, could their kids stay behind with me and my son? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's only first grade homework. I mean, yeah. it's not that crazy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then it went from one kid to about three, and then it went to about seven. And, you know, and so I had a little involuntary volunteer after school program. <laughs> then it turned into, you know, kids on my team, you know, the football games in the Little League, they play early. So if the game starts at nine, I'm like, we got to be there at 8.15, 8.30. I know these kids are not going to be ready in time, so I would always take two, three kids home on Friday night, spend the night, <laughs> get up, take them to the game. So it, it turned into that, and just being around children and having children and then the opportunity to open up at a school, and I was like, you know what, it's cool. And um, 
I just started, I started out at an elementary, sixth grade and under. And then mm-hmm. I eventually went to eighth grade. I went to a middle school, which was sixth to eighth grade. And that's really what I had been doing all along. And it was, it was a great schedule for me because it kept routine for me as far as I was on a simple school teacher schedule, but mm-hmm. I was able to get home, coach my kids, able to still coach them, uh, be on top of all their training and, you know, be home every day by three thirty. So it, it didn't take me out of my kid's life. So it was great, you know, because I had coached two years ago with the Timberwolves as a player development coach. Mm-hmm. And that was my, that was my son's junior year of high school. And that was the first time, like, I took a job that really took me away from my family. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I had never had a job like that to where I was gone like that. Like, you know, everybody, you know, connects, you know, me and my son through through basketball and whatnot. But that was the first time that I had ever missed a parent-teacher conference. You know, oh, wow. I retired when my son was so young. So, you know, remove sports. Like, I didn't miss parent-teacher conferences. I didn't miss school plays. I didn't miss the Christmas functions where you got to go up there and y'all saying as a school, you know, for the holiday program and all that stuff. So those are the things that I was always a part of. The sports was second. But once I took the Timberwolves job, I'm like, I'm missing games. I'm missing, uh, you know, school plays. I'm missing parent-teacher conference. I'm, you know, everything that I was a part of all my children's life, I was missing out on. So, you know, so it was, it was, it, it was a transit, a, a very big transition for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, I think it's so cool how uh, involved you are, you know, in your kids' activities. That's that's really neat. And uh, speaking of your eldest son, he's getting ready for a big month next month for the draft. I, guess, I mean, you can empathize with the situation he's going through. What's his mindset right now? Well, his mindset is just to go out and play hard mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, put on display everything that you've been working on. That's it. That's really cool. I hope everything goes well. It'll be an exciting time for, for you and your family. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's going to, you know, my son has worked very, very hard. You know, he's been training. He's 19 now. There's not too many kids at 19 have uh, 15 years of player development NBA training, you know, so mm-hmm. things are going to work out for him. Definitely. That's, that'll be fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, that'll, yes, that'll be cool, cool to see how he does. Um, well, I think I just have one last question for you, Gary. And, and thank you so much for, for calling into this, man. I really do appreciate it. One thing I like to do when I'm talking to former Dallas Mavericks is quiz them a little bit on their memory. So mm-hmm. right, right now in front of me, I have the, the the roster from the 98, 99 Mavs. So your first year in Dallas, um, you know, when you put up some great numbers, there's 14 names on it, including you. I wanted to see how many of them you can name off the top of your head. Okay. So let me go with <clears> – <throat> Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Dirk, myself, Sean Bradley, Sean Rooks. I think think Rooks was your second season. Okay. Yeah. AC Green. Mm -hmm. Um, Who else was in there? Uh, Buckner. I think he was the following Uh, season after that. Okay. Kamaki Walker. Eric Strickland. Uh, let me see who else is in there. Hubert Davis. Yep. Um, let me think about who else was in there. Robert Pack. Yeah, there you go. Um, Looks like you got four see. more. Oh, uh, man, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> let me see here. 
probably going to be stumped until you say them, too. <laughs> uh, I mentioned two of them earlier as guys that I previously spoke had uh, these uh, podcasts with. I said Samaki. Yeah, you said Samaki. Um, Strickland. Damn it. Mm. <laughs> who, does, who, who am I missing? All right, so you got Chris Anstey. Um, that was okay. Uh, Bruno, 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 Bruno. There you go. Um, yeah, Bruno. Two more. Uh, Cedric Sabalos. Yeah, yes, Sabalos. Yeah. And then uh, the other guy has unfortunately passed away since Hot Rod Williams. Oh yes, okay. I said Hot Rod. But I thought he said he came the second year because I remember John. Oh, okay. You know, I was a, I was yeah, I was a young guy who was a. Uh, you know, I was still a little edgy, so when they put me in the locker room, right? Yeah. Nelly set my locker up. You had Sean Bradley to my left, AC and Hot Rod to my right, and I was in the middle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so those guys kind of... So at that uh, point in time. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I was like 24 at the time, so he was like, you know what, let me put me put a, 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 a supporting cast around his locker. That sounds like that was a good idea. So do you think you'll come back to Dallas at some point next season and see Dirk play maybe one more time? Uh, man, you never know. You never know. Or yeah. maybe they'd be good if they just go ahead and draft my son and Dirk can yeah. go ahead and mentor him <laughs> on the way out the game and go on, and go on just make that love come back full circle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty cool if he got to play with you and, and your son. That would be a neat, a neat way to, to end it. You, you know what's amazing, though, is the amazing thing. So, if Melo, Wade, and LeBron all come back next year, I played against all of them. Mm-hmm. My son will get to play against them. That's crazy. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, he'll probably yeah, you he'll probably play against a, a number of guys you played against uh if that all works out. So that'd be really cool. Well, anybody anybody that was in LeBron's in them class cuz this is LeBron's 15th year. Yeah. So it would take LeBron's 16th year. Uh you know, Melo's still under contract, so he would still be in the league. I don't know what Wade will do. Yeah. But I know he definitely would get a chance to play against Melo and uh, LeBron or anybody from that class. Yeah, definitely. And uh, some other guys are – Pau Gasol still around, Joe Johnson, maybe some other uh, – Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, so that would be yeah, – so, uh, Yeah, he'd get a chance. Yeah, he'd get a chance. That would be cool. That would be really cool. Well, um, thank you so much for calling into this tonight, uh, Gary. I really do. Yeah, thank you for researching me and, uh, and, 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 and doing this. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I really enjoy talking to Mavs from the past, and uh, I think you, you were appreciated in your time here. Uh, when, when you were healthy, you, uh, you really helped the team, and you were definitely fun to watch. I appreciate it, man. Of course. All right. Well, have a, have a great night, Gary. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir.